0: This is the first time I think I'm doing the show having just gone off like a 30-minute peloton ride, so I'm probably going to be super hypey. I don't even know.
1: Oh, man. <laughs> I, I always threaten to do that, like go for a run before we do these, but what I usually do is take a nap and, and then... <laughs> <laughs> a, a nap and a gummy usually, right? Well, the gummies happen half an hour in, so not yet. Okay, <laughs>
0: Ah, uh, cool. All right, so we got Parker here. I, I swear, at one point, I'm probably going to call Parker PT. I'm just going to like totally forget. By the way, Parker, when you get up here, is it like Parker S Thompson is in like Hunter, or is it just sort of like an accident that happened? I don't know. Also, Parker, I don't know if you've how much experience you have with Twitter Spaces, but you will need to be on a mobile device. I
1: thought you usually send people your um,
0: prep. Uh, I guess I just assumed, you know. He's like an OG, yeah. so he knows all the uh, things. Uh, uh, By the uh, way, do you see the little magic wand down there? Now we all have access to the soundboard. I'm sorry, everybody. I'm going to do this, so it's going to sound horrible. Oh, that's much so bad. That's my. It's much quieter. Before there was like screaming. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. okay. I see. Like I see. That. Yeah. That's. Uh-huh. <clears throat> all right. It's it's just a little softer though. Okay. Great. Parker's up.
2: Okay, sorry about that. I have I have not done this from my (laughs) desktop, and I was I thought I would be prepared and have my nice microphone and the whole thing. I
0: don't know. You know what? It's it's one of those things that I'm still really kind of annoyed at. And if um, Elon goes and fires seventy five percent of Twitter staff, I don't know if we're ever going to get a good Twitter Spaces experience in desktop. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) sorry to break your uh, your hopes and dreams. Yes.
1: Well listen, let's let's not uh let's not not
0: jinx it. Let's not jinx it. Derail ourselves on that one. Okay. Um well welcome, Parker. Um uh Brian, you want me to just kick it off and we'll just dive in?
1: Yeah, if you're if you're good to go, Parker, are you okay? Oh yeah. Yeah, let's do it.
0: Let's do it. Welcome everybody to the Tech Meme ride home experience for Thursday, October twentieth. Uh it's been a couple weeks since we've been on. Uh this is sort of a slow season, I think, for the show, but as ever lots of stuff going on in the tech world. Um, Brian, a couple weeks ago, uh, maybe even longer, I think prognosticated, which is the appropriate term here, uh, <laughs> reading the tea leaves, uh, that there was a, a kind of vibe shift going on in the VC and investment space towards AI. And that uh, AI essentially would eclipse or place kind of the, the hot darling of the I guess I know, uh, the tech world last, like last year, which was crypto NFTs and that whole jam. And so
1: I did, I did kind of do that. I, I, yeah. l- I want to frame it. First okay. of all, uh, Parker, please introduce yourself in whatever way you want. And then please let me frame how, okay. <laughs> how I want this to, to go down. Sure. Um, for folks who don't know me, Parker Thompson, um,
2: I spend my time investing in startups. So I do some enterprise, um, uh, enterprise fast investing at Seed uh, with a partner, a very traditional fund, small fund. And then I run a fund that uh, is more like an index fund that sits on top of AngelList. So that's a little bit funkier where I get to look at all of AngelList's deal flow. And then we try to invest in about, about 1,000 companies a year and about 40 or 50 funds. So that gives me the ability to kind of look across the ecosystem and see um, see what's happening at more of a bird's eye view.
1: Ah, yes. Since you said that, um, I'm going to blow up your spot a bit because
0: I'm
1: going (laughs) to, I'm going to frame it this way, which is, so, uh, we recorded that episode the second to last day of September. It came out October 1st. And I said, uh, Hey folks in web three and crypto, I am concerned that all of your, uh, people that are have been blowing up your spot on Twitter, <laughs> the VCs and whatnot, are going to turn their eyes, like the eye of Sauron to AI. And then this week, I'm not saying I'm a genius, but it's become a meme. But you're so implying
0: me that you a genius. It's okay. You can do that.
1: Okay. Mm-hmm. However, um, Parker, you just said you have more insight into you know, the, the investing space, than just about anybody that I know. I didn't, I didn't say that out of just like, um, you know, sticking a finger in my mouth and uh, holding it up to the wind. I, I started to see more AI pitches coming my way. So is this a meme or not? Uh, All of a sudden the energy I, I did the two big stories about the two big raises in AI this week, what are you mm-hmm. seeing in terms of um, the the energy around um, the AI space right now?
2: So, I, what's funny is I think that there is definitely a lot of excitement because there's truly interesting stuff coming out. I mean, you see this all these consumer products that are just phenomenal and fascinating. Um, I have not seen that many AI startups raising money because I think the kind of things that are really fascinating or are, are, are pretty rare, right? Like the, the, this is like, I call these things spaceship technology, which is to say like very rarely you see a startup where they show you their product and you're like, holy crap, this is like, you just took it off a spaceship. It's so crazy. Right. Um, I feel actually like, uh, there was much more, there were many more startups calling themselves AI startups, maybe 2015 to 2017, like there was a joke Mm -hmm. then where everybody was saying, oh, we're an AI startup. And what they really meant is, I don't know, we got TensorFlow and we're going to get some data maybe one day and then we're going to do something cool with it. And like, I I felt like that was a modifier people put on their startups then. So
0: I don't feel like we've quite... I I mean, it used to be like mobile, right? Like, oh, I'm doing a mobile mobile thing, invest. I'm doing crypto, invest. Like,
2: Uh, Mobile was like... Yeah, mobile was a little bit earlier than that. Right. But you're totally right. I mean, there was a thing where everybody was like, I'm making a mobile startup. And then there was when we were all making startups for millennials. Right. So you do get these waves. Um, It's possible we'll see a big A.I. push again. But I feel like all the VCs kind of got that out of their system where it was superficially A.I., five or so years ago actually can we, like,
0: maybe we can we start there because i think this is actually like so important and i feel like we could and should spend a lot of the rest of the show actually unpacking like that terminology like artificial intelligence yeah, and obviously I want to be clear
1: i i want to get the investor uh-huh. part of this out of the way that's why i led with it because no, I
0: mean, no but that's that's, that's what deeper. i'm asking yeah exactly. that's what i'm asking so so like artificial intelligence obviously has been around for decades now uh We've been, I think, whittling away at something that feels, I think, to, to Parker's point, like space magic, or uh, I'll just coin the term, like you know, from space, or whatever that's magical. Uh, but it's yeah.
2: Let me let yeah, me hey, sort please. of offer this as a as a you know a, a, a explanation, right? Um, so I believe it was about 2012 that we saw some major breakthroughs, uh, real breakthroughs in the technology, right? Um, so uh, what like
0: TPUs and stuff, right?
2: Well, a Google bought DeepMind, right? Yes. And um, you sort of, you saw TensorFlow come out. And so it really actually felt like there was a meaningful technical breakthrough around 2012 or a set of technical breakthroughs. And that became available to the general startup populace, right? So I think that's kind of, you start there in the modern era, right? That's that's different than, say, what was happening in the 80s and 90s and so on. It's the sort of the intellectual successor. But there was a real fundamental set of technical breakthroughs that gave us more than just, you know, like, I remember building software before that, where it's like, yeah, we can kind of build like the Netflix algorithm or something, right? But that was about as good as you can get. And now you have more interesting stuff. So I think that there was genuinely a bunch of people trying to figure out what to do with that technology. And that turned in the kind of a hype wave in the, you know, the years that followed. Like I say, VCs kind of didn't understand the technology, got excited about it, and we were funding different stuff, right? I looked deeply at that, and kind of my aha moment personally was looking at it going, oh, this is just math, right? And we all have the same math, so the math is effectively open source, to kind of, you know, uh, steal a phrase there, right? So we're all using the same math. Some people are better at it than others, right? Um... And then there's data, right? And data is really what differentiates these things, right? Like, um, so I think the tools were very primitive in 2013, 2014. I did a little bit of investing in tooling. I think the tools are actually quite a bit better now. But still, you can't take you know a Ruby on Rails engineer and build you know open AI right? Like the tools aren't that good. The tools are good enough that someone like me can take TensorFlow and build something that I couldn't have built maybe 10 years ago, right? So I I don't know if that helps in terms of a framing. But I think if you're looking at startups today, the reality is uh, what's really interesting is being built by PhDs and people like me would be building things that really aren't that interesting. But if we could get a proprietary data set, maybe I can build a valuable startup if that makes sense, right? But I'm not gonna show up with spaceship technology and just make something awesome by crawling the web.
1: Well, I, I, okay, I, I do definitively want to get this away from the the framing of, of investing in it. Um, sure, sure. Do you feel like, uh, I'm, I'm gonna bring it right back. I, I said like you know uh, on the show this week that um, you know it feels like these could be just games and like toys in the same way that certain things in crypto haven't like panned out into real companies but at the same time what we've seen with these generative uh, ai tools and and platforms that have come out like the it, 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 it's it's the first time in maybe five or six years since like the chatbot uh, era of of excitement about investing and that sort of thing that I, I I've been like okay wow this is this is really expanding and iterating faster than I was prepared for um, so I'm, I'm not sure what my question is but but what what is your sense of are we are we on the cusp of something, or are we in the middle of like, okay, this is a step change in terms of um, how AI could actually impact the real world?
2: My sense, and and, you know, I'm going to caveat this by saying I don't think I'm an expert in this technology, right? So my sense is that this is actually stuff that people have been working on in parallel for the last... Uh, you know, three or four years. How old is Open Mind now? Uh, or Open AI rather? Um, uh, at least five, I think, right? Yeah, yeah so yeah. I think people have been working on these problems in parallel. I mean, I, I heard an anecdote about, um, you know, Google uh, moving all of the AI people into the CEO's office, right? Like, mm-hmm. the CEO sat with uh, the AI folks, right? And that's that's been years in the making. So my, my sense, actually, is that this is a little bit like, I don't know if you know the story of the you know four-minute mile, right? Everybody thought it was right. impossible, and then somebody right. breaks it, and then a bunch of people do it all at once, right? So my sense is it's more like everybody's been trying to figure out this technology. We've all got our stables of PhDs. And then somebody releases a product, and somebody else goes, well, we could do that, right? Somebody else goes, well, we could do that. And so I think that you're sort of seeing this stuff become public, but this is stuff that's just been happening in all of these larger organizations and to some extent outside of them, right? Like there are like the hugging face people and some of these people that are, you know, more independent, um, doing the same thing. So I don't know, that's, that's my sense, but that's, you know, I, I, uh, I'm sort of saying that from the perspective of a, you know, a casual observer, as opposed to an expert in the space. All
1: right. You know, uh, instead of dancing around it, let's, let's get into what I want to talk to you about. (laughs) So, um, one of one of your tweets that actually, uh, led Chris and I to, um, engage you for, for this episode is, um, uh, Grady Booch was talking about, um, how, um, you know, a lot of this AI stuff has been trained on, um, the open web and Mm -hmm. people's other people's content and things like that. And I'm going to, I'm going to quote your tweet in response to that, and then this is going to get us right into it. It can't be overstated how important the coming battle will be between free culture and rent seekers, REAI. We will either decide computers like human artists can synthesize cultural antecedents and produce things we call new or that cash much must flow. That culture is now owned. Okay. The way into this is, um, do we know who owns this stuff? Do we know? Is this just um, sort of uh, like other things that people have accused um, uh, technology companies of just strip mining other people's kind of like? What do we know about um, like if you can you build a business on this if this is based on other people's stuff and forget about art? There's also like the the coding mm-hmm. AI and things yeah, like that. Yeah. So uh, yeah, copyright tests. and stuff like that. All right.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And copyright's quite complicated. It would be great to get uh, a copyright lawyer into this discussion. And I say that as someone who wrote a master's thesis on fair use, right? And I, I know enough to know that I'm not uh, an expert in this either, um, which I'm just going to keep saying through this conversation and then I'm going to tell you you know, how it is.
0: We're definitely um, not experts either and we get the same thing all the <laughs> yeah. time. Mm-hmm.
2: Um, yeah. So, I mean, I think it's, this is the interesting open question, right? And, you know, we've gone through this a couple times, like the most recent one is I I think people forget that there was a serious debate about whether, um, you know, social media companies that are, quote, unquote, monetizing user data should pay users. And and that kind of, you know, faded, right? But that happened, right? And there's a world in which that could have gone the other way, where we passed laws that said, hey, I'm going to pay users, uh, to monetize them, right? You got to cut them in on. Well, it. in some
0: ways, actually, um, there is like monetization that's happening. Creators are, you know, making some money, so there has been well, a little there, bit of a correction.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think there's a distinction between creators and you there's know, it's not like
0: universal basic creator income. Like that hasn't <laughs> happened. But
2: well, it's it's a crappy income as well for most. of these true, folks, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, you know, and I I I would nitpick there and say I think talking about the creator the creator economy is a little bit misleading. I think it's more more sort of useful to think about it as the attention economy, right? Because you don't monetize Mm. your creation, you monetize the attention that you garner for creating, right? Yeah. Um, Just that I think that's a better framing for thinking about where the value is generated there. Facebook is aggregating the attention and then monetizing it. My data is not that interesting, right? Like it's not valuable to me, it's valuable to Facebook.
0: Yeah, it's worth like seven Um, bucks to Facebook or something.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, we have this conversation. We have this conversation around, um, you know, the streaming days, right? Information wants to be free. We got MP3s and uh, the the sort of the publishing class won that, right? Artists didn't win that. Artists won't win now, right? So the real um, question is, where do we land on this? Do we land in a world where These companies that may or may not be creating giant pots of money, we actually don't know that yet either, um, are going to take some of that money and put it into a pool and that pool is going to be captured by representatives of these artists that then, you know, give the artists some pennies on a dollar, like maybe that's where we end up. I mean, you could see a legislative route that goes that way or you could see us... Not do that right you could see a lawsfer approach to it where these are not considered derivative works, but new creations well, well would, let's
1: yeah. uh, so we 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 haven't had as as far as I'm aware a single lawsuit about this I'm sure you know three two one it's yeah it's ha- gonna happen, happen today. Yeah. yeah um but so where would the lawsuit be it would be because I am a um, uh, uh, a, a sci-fi artist that it, it, the things that are being generated in Dali look a hell of a lot like my book covers and things like that and then when I can prove that you trained your model on my art then that makes sense um, is is that what you're expecting to see or or are you expecting the litigation to come from I don't know. Uh, I, 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 maybe we should leave the like what happens to artists that like can't uh, make a living being graphic designers if this stuff <laughs> takes over. Like,
2: well, there's litigation and there's policy, and they're kind of different things, right? So, what's going to happen on the technology side is, uh, I mean, I think you saw this uh, person come out and say, "Hey, uh, Copilot stole my code," right? Very clear example like, hey, this code looks like my code. That person has a legal right to sue, right? And I think that the, what's, what's, the tools are immature, so the tools are designed today in a way where if you want to, quote-unquote, attack them in that way, you can trick the tools into doing this. I think the tools will get more sophisticated and you won't be able to get them to spit out something that looks exactly like a specific instantiation of a work, right? But now you can. Um, that, that's pretty straightforward, right? You, as someone who holds a copyright... Can sue me, someone who infringed your copyright, and exactly, you know, that, who gets paid how much or whatever is. But who, who's
1: the, who's being sued? Is, is it the? I mean, this is uh, a lot I, of stuff. But, yeah, yeah,
2: I'm not. I'm not sure. I think you could probably actually sue both parties, right? Like, I, whether the courts would say that the toolmaker is, uh, you know, mm-hmm. liable or not, I'm, I'm not sure. That's an interesting legal question. The, I think the more interesting thing to me and what that tweet was about was more what you saw in the early 2000s, right, was you saw publishers, record labels, rolling, you know, Metallica drummers in front of Congress going like, they're stealing our stuff. You guys got to do something about this, right? And so what I'm actually personally not that worried about the idea of individual copyright owners suing companies or suing individuals for infringing their works i think like that's just always happened and it's fine that's not that's not a problem if you're thinking about like broadly about the human progress right i think if you're worried about you know how do we structure public policy to enable human progress what is more concerning is the idea that you might have people going before congress and saying hey you know those big tech companies that we all hate Let's just go and take their money and "quote unquote" give it to artists, right? Because then you end up with a policy situation where some of these tools then become illegal, right? And that that is where you kind of well, and, and, and
1: and some companies have tried that, you know, with Google scraping the web, as they would say, or whatever. It, it, I mean, it has. We're, none of us here are lawyers, but it, that that hmm. hasn't ever been solved, right? Like, basically. You know, uh, the whole reason that Google got started is because the web became the greatest, like, a <laughs> giant data set that, that anyone could ever imagine. And, and people in the late nineties in academia were like, uh, you know, mathematicians are like, Oh my God, this is amazing. Like, have we ever settled the fact that these open data sets are out there? Yeah, look, and we people. have
2: robots.txt. We solved this problem. This problem was okay. solved in the early 90s. If you don't put okay. your shit in the search engine, make a robots.txt.
0: Well, we but a lot problem. of the stuff that is actually being used in the public crawl and to train these models didn't, like, there wasn't sort of awareness of a robots.txt per se on some yeah. of those things that are being hoovered up in I that think people process.
2: Want, they want their cake and they want to eat it too, right? Oh, 100%. 100%. <laughs> you know,
0: uh, I'm not saying people are rational. Like, please. Yeah. So Let's certainly we
2: can go back and, you know, iterate on robots.txt, but I don't actually think that's what anybody wants, right? Like if you've made a better robots.txt, no one wants that, right? What they want is the giant pot of money that they're not, yeah. they don't have access to, right?
0: So, so wait, so I think we're having two, maybe three simultaneous kind of, you know, conversations or threads right here. One is this question of money and who gets paid for essentially what are derivative kind of output or, or work that can be generated as a result of these massive data sets being hoovered up at a scale that previously wasn't, uh, I, I have a hard time imagining, contemplated by the mm-hmm. copyright regime, you know, historically, you know, previously mm-hmm. it was like, I wrote this thing, this other guy's plagiarizing me, you know, mm-hmm. I should get paid, you know, because I put the original work in, therefore my creative work is protected. Now we're doing things, you know, at hundreds of millions of you know scale, and we're using those as almost a... Um, like a heuristic or a um, just mathematical equation to generate more stuff that is you know similar to the things that came before, and so it's not any one of those particular contributions per se. It's kind mm-hmm. of the soup that is generated from those creative works that allows us to create the models like GPT three, etc. To then produce what ostensibly could be considered new new works, new creative works, and then there is this question of well, who gets paid in this model, and who should get paid, and then also who gets to monetize it, and I think that creates a very interesting question because it, it, it's 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 very much like an aurora Boris in the sense that you're talking both about the the what did you call it the attention economy I was well, thinking about I, the passion economy yeah, yeah. I
2: get, let me suggest that um, I actually think like who gets paid is a more important question than you're really talking about because that's okay. not the end of this right because if people have to get paid on something right okay. then there's a bunch of stuff on the internet that can't just can't exist. Like I I always like to think about like, it, it, it says something about our public policy that we could have a hackathon over a weekend and make a much better streaming music client than exists today that you can get on your phone. Right. And the reason for that is because if we're not constrained by the law, we can do all sorts of cool shit that you just can't Effectively, do because of the fact that certain people need to get paid in certain ways. So,
0: I actually think the, the the public policy around sorry, but I think that's that's kind of an interesting and good example. Because are you talking about the media, you know, the music that would go into that streaming service, or are you talking about the UI and the interaction that lives around it? Because in well, some for, ways,
2: for example, mm-hmm. um, you have a, a right. You, if we had a radio station, we can play anything we want, right? Um, sure. If you have a streaming service, you actually have to go and do individual licensing deals for all the music right so I can 't get my Garth Brooks on Spotify and i 'm very angry about it. right. We well, just make an app that has Garth Brooks and the Beatles and Taylor Swift and whatever right um, the The public policy here matters in terms of what kind of art can be created. Another example would be sample, right like. Sampling was... We were sort of discussing privately this concept of a platform shift, right? Like sampling for a very brief period of time was just a free-for-all and anybody could do anything. And the Beastie Boys made some amazing albums. And then that became illegal and you can't do that anymore, right? So there's a lot of art that can't be created in the first place because of how people get paid on these things because of the public policy, right? So Mm -hmm. I, I think it actually... who gets paid matters a lot more to what gets created than I I think maybe your original frame was suggesting.
0: Uh, Well, I guess what what I'm trying to like piece apart, you know, is the degree to which things are generated and and that are able to be generated from all the things that exist. For example, you can't copyright a musical note, but you can copyright perhaps a sequence of musical notes. And then Mm -hmm. that sequence will show up in many, many songs, but it's not like, the people who put you know five notes together the very first time are going to get royalties forever and ever. Like that's not really how it works. It has to be sort of a substantive original work. Well, and, and,
2: I, and that's really changed over time as well, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, think about the twelve-bar blues, right? Uh-huh. The twelve-bar blues is an entire genre that is exactly the same song, right? I don't think sure. people really understand the extent to which the way that we think about intellectual property has radically changed in the last 40 years. It has fundamentally changed, right? Like, I I would highly recommend, for example, the Bob Spitz uh, biography on The Beatles, there, there are entire sections about the Beatles just ripping off people wholesale, right? We yeah. don't think of the Beatles as plagiarists, but they were because culturally that was much more acceptable than it is today. Culture has really shifted on this. And I mean, we can all, you know, shake our fist at Disney or whatever, right? But mm-hmm. this is what I, this is why I think we're at such an interesting time. Um, because you're talking about like, are, are these algorithms creating new things or are they ripping people off, right? We haven't thought about this at all. It's an exciting time because we haven't accepted, we haven't sort of um, converged on a, a, a common mental model of of this process, right?
0: So there, okay, there's so, a. Really- so I think this is getting to something interesting, right? Because part of this conversation is is a bit about like who gets paid, and then there's a question about sort of fight clubby, like over what time horizon, you know? And so who gets paid, sort of in the short term and the immediate term, based on let's say the model of the last 40 years versus the VC model where you're thinking about, you know, seven to 10 years, how is the marketplace being structured differently? And so, Part of the premise of this conversation is looking back to a year ago and thinking about how the economy and money was going to be rewritten by crypto and NFTs. And then now we're either in the build phase or that kind of like fizzled out. We're not quite sure. But now we're sort of moving over into this other world of AI and generativity and the fact that there's so much compute power that's available and needs to be applied towards something that generative models can be applied to work, to creativity, to art. And I think what I'm very interested in is. Whether there is a kind of and, and not all VCs are you know as sort of insightful, I suppose, but thinking about a future model in which work and creative work and creativity and generativity is thought very differently because there's a generational shift, I, I guess like is that necessary for these investments to actually play out, or will we somehow inhibit the next generation of creativity that is brought on by these new technologies, because the stuff I'm seeing is mind-blowing the the types of things that people are able to create that they've never been able to create before like it does feel like there is something of a cambrian explosion happening now in that world that i don't think is going to go you know the genie's not going back in the bottle,
2: right yeah well we'll see i mean look if 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 you put on your vc hat right like it's incredibly rational to just make this bet not knowing the answer to the question true How's the culture going to react? Because you just roll the dice and if it goes to zero, that's fine. You did that 20 times. So it's incredibly rational for VCs to fund these things in an environment of extreme uncertainty, right? But the answer to the question, do these things become big businesses, or sort of there are multiple things that need to happen for these to be big businesses, right? I think the cultural conversation, like what is the metaphor that we we collectively choose to adopt for this technology uh, that then informs the policy? That th- those will become the ground rules yeah. that then these businesses have to operate under, right? Um, like we, YouTube is a good example, right? I remember where I was standing when I heard that Google bought YouTube, right? I <laughs> thought it YouTube. was just crazy that they bought this uh, infringement machine, right? And it obviously wasn't. It obviously made a lot of sense. Um, but that was an environment of extreme uncertainty. And then we moved towards a set of ground rules, right? And that worked out quite well, I think. Um, we are in an environment of uncertainty. If we decide, for example, that these algorithms are not capable of um, unique production that they are just ripping people off as you said right yeah. then we're probably going to move towards a world where um we steer a lot of that money to creators we're very hostile towards the technology and that's an environment that looks a lot more like um you know investing in music like very few people were willing to invest in music and there's been almost no venture-backed um, music startups, right? Spotify is the notable exception, right? And RDO, there were a few others. Yeah. It, it, but, but effectively, music after Napster was a digital wasteland, right? Yeah. And the yeah. reason it was, or a venture wasteland, and the reason it was a wasteland was because as a culture, the Lars oldricks of the world won mm-hmm. and the technologists lost, right? So I'm very interested in this question of, you know, how are we gonna? Sh- how are we gonna sort of figure out what the right metaphor for, for this is, uh, Brian? Did you want to weigh in here? Yeah,
1: I want to. I want to take it a little sideways for a second, <laughs> please um, please. In, in the sense that, um, and I'm, I'm coming back to your your tweet thread um, that because Chris and I have talked about this. Like you said, you used Dolly yesterday to generate a base image of a thing and a style, and then we. In quotes, iterated. I think that's an important thing to think about too, because this is a tool like anything from Adobe, like like a word mm-hmm. processor. Like so, at, at what point we're, we're talking about the tool was was formed based off of, in theory, other people's creations, but then in actual functionality, it is a tool and we can get into this too in, in terms of like whose jobs it's going to be taken away. But you can't, you have to be intelligent to use the tool the right way to get <laughs> something quality out of it. Right. And so in the same way that like I'm no good at um, Photoshop, but other people are. So to what degree are we talking about once it becomes a tool then the creativity is from the inputs of a skilled person using the tool.
0: Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Have you heard you can listen to your favorite news podcasts ad free? Good news. With Amazon Music, you have access to the largest catalog of ad-free top podcasts included with your Prime membership. To start listening, download the Amazon Music app for free or go to Amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts. That's Amazon.com slash ad-free news podcasts to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.
2: Yeah, no, that makes sense. And I failed to make something that was useful because I'm still not good at Dolly, right? Um, So I I do think that's a good example, right? These tools that Dolly has for folks that don't know, you can create an image and then you can iterate on it. You can draw boundaries and like expand it. You can erase things. And so the tools are fairly primitive still, but it it will turn into Photoshop. It's going to turn into something quite interesting. And I agree. There
1: are... And like Microsoft just announced this week that they have a tool or was it last week, whatever that it's like being built into
0: Microsoft designer where they're actually bringing this stuff in. And then Microsoft put another, what, like 50 million, $500 million in open AI. I mean, clearly uh, this is the thing that I'm seeing. And, and, you know, Brian to your prognostication, like a bunch of money is going into these startups. And I think what I'm trying to understand with, you know, your clairvoyance is, what is motivating that? Is it just because you know we're in kind of a dry season and there's not a lot of else you know to invest in, and there's a lot of hype and interest? I know I don't, think it's, about a, I okay. don't
2: think it's about a dry season. Yeah,
1: Parker, go first because I have thoughts on this. But Parker, okay. you,
2: you, yeah. no, this is highly rational, right? This is genuinely, genuinely a generational set of technologies, and it's an exciting time because, like, you forget uh, looking back the sort of the fog of war, right? We are at a moment where just we're, we're gonna look at this moment and it's gonna be, we're gonna be going like, who was the MySpace, who was the Facebook, whatever, right? Um, so these companies all have, like Microsoft, has massive amounts of money on the balance sheet, great mm-hmm. cash flows, totally. it's incredibly rational for them, it's incredibly rational for VCs to make a bet that could be a thousand X, but might be a zero, right? Like we should all be making these bets as when we put on our venture capital hats. Um, so I, I think that no one knows how it's gonna turn out, but it doesn't matter. This is just rational behavior. That's yeah. why it's like so exciting as technologists, right? Let There's me, me let me ask you something
0: about this though. One thing that I wanna understand, and, and I know this is a little bit speculative, but I think it also is rational that there are a number of things that are happening with greater efficiencies with regards to just CPUs, GPUs, I mean, a lot of the GPU sort of power was going to mine crypto, and now that we're moving from <laughs> proof of work to proof of stake, I think. State, uh, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, now you've got all these sort of like dormant data centers, and I know this like sounds a little crazy, but we are moving to a world where there's incredible efficiencies being created by these TPUs uh, and uh, whatever the sort of. AI-focused chips are. And so yeah, my question is, like with Microsoft, with Apple, with Google, they are going to continue to develop this compute power. And so they want to keep having, you know, kind of like this carrot out ahead of their horses to keep them running faster and faster. And so this is a perfect application of the that latent investment that they've already made in those data centers and systems. No,
2: I don't think that's quite right. I mean, okay. I, I think for one, When you really start getting in, when we figure out what the use cases are, we will build custom chips that only Mm. are useful for those use cases, right? And you already see, like, Google has built custom AI chips. There are startups that are building custom chips. Well, that's new. Like,
0: that was not uh, something being done. That's not
2: new. People Hmm. have been doing this for years. Um, How many years? uh, I would say on the order of five-ish years. Yeah, I that's seen... not years. Like,
0: I mean, we're going no. back to <laughs> like OpenAI and DeepMind. Not, and... not not decades,
2: but years. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. So the people are building custom chips for certain applications. I think Google builds a lot of custom hardware. That's a little bit different than like the GPUs. I would I would I would actually be interested. I don't know the answer to this question. Um, there are cryptocurrencies that were mining mm-hmm. on generic GPUs and, and cryptocurrencies that are mining on right. ASICs that are only relevant to those cryptocurrencies. I'm not sure how much capacity. Has been "quote unquote" freed up by the crash in cryptocurrencies. I, you, I would believe it if somebody told me there was a lot who was an expert, and I would believe it if somebody who was an expert told me <laughs> that there was almost none. Right? You that might, you might get both answers. Yeah, yeah. Oh well, no. I mean, I'm just saying. Like, if we ask an expert, we might hear either answer. Right. So i I don't think it's that. I don't think it's that. Like. You, you you can't build a perpetual motion machine, right? You can't just say we're going to invent hardware and then we're going to invent software that uses that hardware because that's efficient. You actually need to be making applications that people want to use, right? So I think the more interesting question is like, are these applications A that people want to use? I think the answer is probably yes. But then B it's like, well, okay, but how do we build businesses out of them? And C is... How do we build defensible businesses out of them, right? So these are more like, again, these are like VC hat questions, so we don't necessarily have to go down this route. But those are questions that I think are relevant to, um, to VCs.
1: Yeah. Um, before, uh, I, Chris and uh, the back channel, yes, please bring them up. Uh, okay. Before we do, real quick, um, let, me, let me frame one more thing, and then we should open this up to the audience, because I think there's a bunch of people in the, in the audience that are interested in this thing. Can we also throw down the marker for the concept of who loses here? And is it the artists? Is it the graphic designers? Chris and I have already talked about this a couple times yeah. and people have framed it. Whereas, like again, and I even said that the last time I, I I spoke, where it's like you have to be good at it in the same way that you have to be good at using. Photoshop and things like that. So it's almost like going back to like the original Licklighter paper of like, uh, maybe for the interim period for the foreseeable future, we have to have a priesthood of people that know how to, you know, horse whisper the machines and things like that. But, um, mm-hmm. I'm just curious real quick, Parker, what are your thoughts in terms of if you're not only a, a graphic designer or an artist, but I don't know, a, a software engineer are, What do you think about if these tools really are on the cusp of this revolution, would you be concerned for your job? Basically put it starkly.
2: (laughs) Um, I don't think so. Again, maybe I'm just not, maybe I'm just don't haven't thought enough about this. Um, I think that uh, the creative people will be uh, able to find things to do um, I think that maybe the, if I had to pick a loser, this is maybe a lame answer, but like occasionally I go on Fiverr and like pay somebody to Photoshop some stuff because I'm not good at Photoshop. M- maybe I can now go to Dolly or something for that. And, you know, it, it, but I'm, I'm still when I go to, I mean, that's a, definitely,
0: that's definitely coming. I mean, Canvas going to, yeah, when I go to
2: build a web application though, yeah. like when I'm building a startup, I'm going to hire a human. And they're going to use these tools. There was literally a product
0: be- launched on Product Hunt today that, you know, you put in sort of where you want your business to be and like a term and it generates a whole page for you. And it sucks and it's bad, but it's <laughs> it's directionally where people are thinking. I just can't imagine that it's not going to happen. Anyways, like, yeah, no, I, know no, that- I don't
2: think I have a good good answer. Ask me again in six months and maybe I'll yeah. have a good answer for you. Mm-hmm,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it like it, this. This conversation is difficult because there's a lot of things I think that are happening, and I think we're also seeing a lot of different things and making sense of it in different ways. Perhaps because of the way that we relate to those, you know, different skills or talents. So, for example, as someone who kind of came up doing web design seeing a machine being able to do those things or for example seeing um, there's a tool called diagram which works uh, in the world of figma and you apply yeah. gpt3 and OpenAI technologies to it and now suddenly you have applications that are being designed that are as you know i, I don't want to say like as good as anything else but now we have we have two million examples to draw from that it's not that hard to design a relatively reasonable interface for software that used to take, you know, months and super dedicated, super talented individuals to do. So the fact that we can just ingest these patterns and then spit out kind of pretty good, you know, marginal copies if not improvements is interesting. I think the question then goes to how generative can this stuff become and can it actually get better at doing these things than we can? Like you said, at the very beginning, I think your one of your core insights is that the internet turns everything that humans used to do into math and computers are always going to by definition, literally, their name is going to outcompute us. So, if they can get better and faster and more capable at doing those things, they will. And then the question is what do we sort of point that fire hose at? And then what happens to the human capital and to culture as a result of an interaction with such a complex system?
2: Well, let me give you let me give you an interesting anecdote. I think it's an interesting anecdote. Um sure. uh, so uh, we started investing the access fund at AngelList in 2015 and our thesis was hey, we could use a bunch of data to um, make decisions at scale that would give us really high performing venture portfolios, right? And it worked, right? We've been doing it for about 7 years now, almost 8 years now, and it's phenomenal, right? And Sorry, are you saying these ago, are
0: investment decisions using AI? Yeah. So, okay. So,
2: well, no, we're not. We're, oh. So we're using the data, but then I am the computer, right? So I get it <laughs> okay. I make decisions, right? <laughs> sure. um, but AngelList built out a data science team maybe mm. 2018 or so. Mm. And I had a, just a real funny conversation at like a Christmas party after a couple drinks with the guy who mm. runs the team where I'm like, no, it's... Like I, you guys should put me out of business, right? This is great. Let's just make an algorithm that can mm-hmm. do the job. And the guy kind of looked at me awkwardly, like, "Wait, you know what I'm trying to do?" I'm like, no, <laughs> I'll go sit on a beach. I'll go do something else. Right? It'll That'd be, be fun. great, right? Um, and they spent a number of years trying to figure this out, and they actually built a quantitative fund, right? So we're about a 30 percent a year fund. Their fund's probably about a 15 to 17 percent a year fund. And the the problem with what they're doing, they sort of begrudgingly said, like, we admit you guys have some alpha. And I said, yeah, well, we have alpha. And there's a couple of reasons we can beat the code, right? One is there's a bunch of data that's just not structured, right? And these these, uh, machines cannot work well on unstructured data in a lot of cases, right? And the other thing is, like, if you look at the current venture market over the last six months, the market is doing things that it has never done in the data set that we have, right? Or another example would be <sighs> new right. markets emerge, right? New problems emerge, and we don't have data to backtest against, right? So mm-hmm. there, for relatively constrained problems, for relatively structured data sets, um, there's not going to be a lot... We, we're Humans are not going to outcompute compute uh, algorithms, right? Um, I think what ends up happening, though, is I've taken all the work that this data science team does, Right? So our historical results are about 30%. Now I've got a bunch of data that I didn't have because the machine learning is running there and giving me these interesting insights and we built some extra tools on top. So maybe I'm a 35 or 40% fun now. So I'm leveling up my game, right? So I think we are going to be able to take these products... And simply change the nature of our work. But humans are, in many cases, maybe not all cases, but in many cases, going to be able to add value that's different on top of that in ways relative to what we were doing a few years ago. So, so what
1: do wait, Hold on. Let, uh, me, uh, just let, a let me just clarify real okay, quick, real okay, quick. Ahead, when he says uh, 15 versus 35 or whatever, you're, you're saying that your returns are basically double what the, the, the bots are. Um, you're, when you say thirty percent, you're like an IRR or something like that in terms. Yeah, of yeah, that that's weapon. what we're looking at. But, yeah. but what we, but what you just said is you're standing on sort of the bots as well. You're using that as an input that you're 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 using to to achieve your. 30%. Yeah,
2: yeah. A good. Um, I don't know if you know this, but like if you look at chess, right? So, um, the best, the best computers can be now be the best humans, right? But the best humans can take code and beat the best computers, right? So human plus computer beats computers. Unless, right? unless the is. humans
0: are cheating, you know?
2: <laughs> yeah, it's, yeah. Uh, well, no, right, but that's right. the thing. It's like you take a human and some anal beads, and then you can go and beat the computer, <laughs> you know? Yeah, if the computer uh, will be—it'd be totally over. <laughs> yeah, we'd be screwed. No, the two computers <laughs> can't be the human plus a computer, right? So there's something interesting there, mm-hmm. and I think that's that, that's sort of the the okay. That's but the world let me let me like
0: what, the thing that I wanted to b- point out though, and I think what you're saying is super relevant and, and valuable, which is that you know it's it's a little bit like um, God. What's the baseball thing? Um, you know, Moneyball. Thank you. Yes, Moneyball. So yes, in certain cases, as you say, when you have kind of a fixed game. They're like like chess, like baseball, where there's a set of known rules you can really optimize to a certain point. And then there's like a breakthrough thing that happened, like you said, like the four minute mile kind of thing. I I guess what I'm wondering about and and the nature of this conversation is trying to sort of understand and see if there are adjacencies or things to learn from what's going on in some other fields, um, you know, like investing, you know, with robo advisors and stuff like that, where there is historical data to look at. But of course, it's always hard to predict complex systems going forward. So if they've never seen market dynamics like are currently going on, um, then of course they wouldn't be able to predict them and they're going to act in a way that is unpredictable and perhaps actually very, very poorly. My, I guess my, my question, thought or insight here is thinking about the aesthetic arts and the amount of aesthetic content that has been generated to please the eyeballs of humans and mm-hmm. that our ability to synthesize and generate new forms from what has been done before or similar to what has been done before actually kind of will be enormous and also perfectly fine and we don't actually need humans to be remixing that culture i'm not saying that it's the end of culture or the end of art or the end of new creativity but that we will be able to create so many different things that will please the pinterest algorithm that we really don't need to worry about photographers going out and taking amazing you know Staged photos and whatnot, because we can actually generate them. And and I'm going to take this opportunity also to bring up Miguel, um, who is working in this space. I think he he can at least provide a little bit of. Well, first, Miguel, come up and introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about what you're working on, and then tell us where we have some of this conversation off based on (laughs) your lived experience.
3: Hi, Hi, Chris. Uh, Hi, everyone. Um, Yeah, we just actually announced uh, yesterday uh, what we're building. We're building AI, computer infrastructure for AI. Um, and I think there's a brother and under usually underestimated um, aspect about this whole thing is that um, GPT-4 is not going to be built. Um, I'm sorry,
0: say, say it again. Clarify okay. that
3: the next version we're as this is as good as it is. Okay, what, what is this is, good? As, AI is as yeah, good as this? Yeah, it's not going to get better unless there's you know some fundamental breakthrough. Um, hmm. Because look, AI is as computationally expensive as crypto. Okay. Uh, one way to understand stability AI's AI race is that, yeah, they raised $100 million. Oh, on, let me, let me pause you. you dollar, you're um, bringing something
0: up, which, which we haven't mentioned yet, which is the stability right. diffusion or stability yeah. AI, yeah, uh, which is yeah. actually an open source project. It's You can download the source code on GitHub, yeah. has just raised $50 million. And so this is one of the things, along with the investment from Microsoft 100, $100 million. Okay. Yeah. 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 It, a lot of money. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh,
3: and look, and a space. lot of that is going mm-hmm. to go to compute bills. Um, AI is a, For bills. a, yes. a um, Yeah. I mean, it, AI is a rare case of a um, how do you say? Um, it's a capital-intensive software industry. So you have to think of it in terms of hardware, and hardware level expenses. Yeah. Um, yeah. And the same thing happens with Jaster. you know the 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 you know the counterpart of the smartness of AI is that it requires an exorbitant amount of compute, and we chips are not going to get better because the the um, more so is that Computers are, uh, you know, as they're small and as fast as they can possibly get. So I just want to temper some expectations in that um, we're used to things getting better and better with time. This is not going to happen with AI, unless well, unless the company that we're working on are successful. Uh, but but you know, it's it's it's. Uh, I don't think people realize how expensive this is.
0: Okay, so, so wait, well, I, I want to I pause you, though. You, you, you said something interesting, and I, I pinned, pinned your tweet. Uh, you said that GPT-4 will never be built. And first, yeah. that requires us to define why GPT-3 is such an amazing achievement. And, you know, at least in you know 2022, we may think or believe or be led to believe that GPT-3 actually may be, you know, the the most the largest language model that we'll ever need to do all of our things forever because building GPT-4 at a similar, you know, rate of improvement I mean essentially would, would require like quantum computing or more money than the human race actually has produced or something
3: yeah yeah, yeah. we actually did an estimate that for coming to get america at nyu uh in, in the next coming uh, coming days it would take 149 years okay. and 350 billion dollars in expense uh-huh. uh to build something that would at least reach expert human accuracy right so so when people talk about okay this is going to be the future of work it's going to fully replace programmers uh you know it, it's 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 hard to think about the scale are uh, intended. And this is a lower bound. It could get even worse. Um, so, you know, it might be as good as it gets. And this is a dangerous... No, uh, people should temper expectations about what these things can do as a result.
0: Wait, wait, wait. So so when you say temper expectations, you're saying that, like, are we at the the, the height of what we can do with AI? Or do you think yes. we're going to keep getting... Really?
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah. because again, the, the ultimate um, fact, limiting factor is compute. Um mm. and, uh, and And again, like, okay, just you know, just thinking of a vision, for instance, right? Um, You can have, you look at the failure of self-driving cars, self-driving cars are not going to get better because they're already at the limit of what computer, how good computers can get. Mm -hmm. Uh, And this might be a controversial thing that, you know, in the chip community it's well known, right? So no amount of innovation will get away from the fundamental physical limits that we've reached. So we have to have fundamental new race of of computing, which is what we're working on. But, you know, just aside from, from, from what we're working on, the industry right now is, is, you know it's facing a similar problem to crypto, right? That you start you start needing, you know, the same amount of electricity that the entire country of Australia something. That is the limit that we're gonna get if people really want to scale AI. Uh, open OpenAI for instance has a massive problem, which is that they have thrown in a hundred million dollars supercomputer just to serve this few users. They cannot just 10x their users because they require a billion dollars supercomputer, which not even Microsoft could, could afford, right? So, so it's very important that people realize that AI is, is not magic out of anywhere. It's because it requires, look, you know, the, the minimum, it requires about the same equivalent of 100 billion or more, sort of 100 trillion operations per second, which is roughly the number of operations that a human brain is doing right now. So if you want to get to human level accuracy, um, you have to have an exorbitant amount of compute that I don't think, you know, the world is not it's not right for it.
0: Okay, so, so hold on. So you're, you're building this space. You've just announced yesterday what you're working on. One, yes. mm-hmm. why are you doing this? And two, who will be your customers? And then three, what are they going to do with the thing that you're ostensibly going to build?
3: Sure. Yeah, we're building this because we, you know, we want to make this dream happen. You know, Fully general AI will be the most impactful measure of humanity will ever build. Probably the last invention that we'll ever build. But you know, we saw this massive compute problem and, and we tackled it in, in a fundamental way. Um, so you know, if this hype is 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 what it is, we will be the main compute provider for the entire world. Is, is what we're working on.
0: Okay, all right. I'm going to bring uh, PT back. Uh, yeah. PT, see, I did it, uh, Parker. Back um, <laughs> and just get you know, kind of your your reaction to this, because here we have you know, founder and Miguel. Have you have you raised money to to fund this? Yeah, like, we
3: have. We have announced. And yeah. But yeah, we have.
0: Are we, Can
2: I, um, yeah. So. Can I ask you, Miguel? Like, um, so one of the problems that I understand to exist in AI, and I think this is what you're speaking about, is uh, the approaches that we're taking are incredibly energy intensive relative to, for example, how children learn. Right. So, it, is what you're saying is that you're trying to take fundamentally different approaches that are going to change the amount of energy we need to produce the, these kinds of
3: results? Is that what you're saying your startup well, is doing? Well, energy is, is, is the same way as compute, right? Or, or cost. Sure. Yeah, like yeah, energy yeah. Is, is what bounds cost. Um, uh, well, our approach is a bit different. It's about, you know, doing the mathematical operations in a different way. Um, so there, there's, you know, it's essentially an algorithmic approach. It's a, a smarter way of, of doing the same fundamental operations, because all there's something that you were talking about earlier, that, you know, the, the these are numerical operations that, that you know, the, the bottleneck to, to AI computers, we know it today, are essentially matrix multiplication operations, a mm-hmm. m- bunch of multiplication and additions. Uh, and, you know, our background comes from mathematics and, and algebraic geometry and uh, so, uh, numerical computing, um, uh, where, you know, this problem is faced a lot, where, you know, you have to, for instance, simulate a galaxy with a 100 million stars. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, it takes, the, it, it's, that grows with the square of the amount of operations. So it would take, you know, even all the supercomputers in the world, Ten times combined it would not suffice to even do one single step of a, of, a gal- a simulation of a galaxy. Right? So, so there are smarter ways of doing some amount of computation, and that's what that we're bringing. But that's something that the industry hasn't done at all. Um, uh, you know, the people assume that you know the, that the hardware is what it is, and we just scale harder. But we can't scale harder anymore. And you know, it, And you know, we again aside from our technology, as the industry is right now, there's no way that we can get to general AI. Yeah, I don't even think I. I
2: mean, a non-goal for me in short term would be, yeah, you know, okay. general AI, right? Like we're we're I, I don't I wasn't even thinking that we're gonna get there, right? Or that we're we're on the precipice. Uh, it well, seems like it, when
3: three it really shows uh, for the first time, that, right? And we have now with Palm, um, uh, the uh, Google Stories model, 500 billion parameters. We have superhuman, sorry, approximating medium human performance and extra human performance in some tasks. Um, so for instance, like stuff like stuff like feels pretty really human, like, you know, um detecting parity, right? Or or sarcasm, uh, or even programming using using co-package, right? So we're beginning you know, like I don't think any AI researcher would have thought that this was even feasible before GPT three. GPT three changed everyone's expectations. So yes, I think you know, it's a matter of scale uh to get to general AI. And you know, within the next five to ten years we'll have machines picking up your phone. And machines uh, editing other machines, machines doing your taxes, machines, um, you know, b- b- you know, have to bigger with machines. That science fiction work is, you know, uh, the hard part was to get to GPT true, right? Uh, but then it's matter of scale.
0: Okay, so uh, just, so uh, Parker, uh, Parker, Parker, I want to hear your point.
2: Oh right. I, you know, <laughs> no, I don't. I don't really. I'm just curious. I'm fascinated to have an expert here to ask questions of. Right? Mm. Um, so um, I'm. Curious. so i wasn't thinking about general ai right let's I'm just assuming for the sake of this conversation that like we're not talking about that at all. I mean we could talk about you know the crazy people in Google who think the computers are sentient or whatever, but that's I just don't believe that to be uh, correct right um I'm curious to ask a question uh, about uh, what you're saying here when, when you look at something like Dolly, uh, my mental model is that the um the the compute intensive work is primarily about generating the models on the front end and then the um the output is relatively scalable and i heard you say something and want to make sure not, i didn't misunderstand not, not, yeah. so yeah. can you do you have a can you make up a number for when i go and i create an image on dali what does that cost them
3: do you know how many dollars that uh, costs well them? it would it would take for them actually it would take them about 200 billion operations Running on a $100,000 um, supercomputer, and it would take them about, I can tell per hour, tell it would take about $3 per hour to run. Um, uh, and so, and that would serve just, uh, yeah, I mean, a single image would take cents uh, for that particular operation.
2: Right? Yeah, okay. No, that's helpful yeah. to understand because as we think about what do we do with these things, and what are the, I mean, we just came through the era of, holy shit, my Uber is expensive now because VCs aren't paying for it, right?
3: Yeah, so exactly, yeah. as we think about this market, it's helpful to think about, well, what yeah. is this yeah. going to look not like when years. I'm paying for it, right? <laughs> and, and one way to understand OpenAI's uh, race is, just like stability AI's is that their compute bill is enormous. GPT-3 would happen because they got a $100 million, um, uh, uh, essentially, a credit from from Microsoft in exchange for a license for gpt three, but that's running on one of what was then one of the largest computers in the world, uh, and that thing requires GPUs, which is a new, is a specialized kind of computer that is oh, extremely
0: okay. expensive. But yeah, I'm going to going to pause you on that yeah, um, sorry. because it, and I, I really appreciate you coming up and, and elucidating this, and yeah, it's also really interesting. Congrats on your launch. It also sort of it does I mean indirectly sort of support what I was bringing up before, which is that you know these are going to be hugely computationally intensive like applications. And so it does, you know, sort of entrench some of the existing clouds if these products are actually built, you know, for Microsoft's or Google's or the rest. But let me let me pause this part of the conversation because I want to bring up um, our our good friend of the show, Mike Nano, who happens to be in an Uber. Uh, well enough. So (laughs) we will will see how his audio is. Um, but I've, I've pinned, I believe I pinned a tweet, um, about something that Mike wrote recently. So Mike's been on a tear ever since he came on our show. I I take all credit for this. Uh, but also since since he left Spotify. (laughs) Um, and he, he wrote about something that I think is actually very germane to where we started this conversation. And we're talking about, um, like culture and cultural production. And specifically, Mike was writing about essentially sort of like the creator supply chain and how the economics around that is changing um, and was asking the question, you know, is the creator economy, which we were so hyped about last year, again, during the whole crypto craze, is that dead? So I don't, I don't want to like spoil the whole thing, but um, Mike, do you want to come up and just sort of like provide a bit of your, um, you know, insight? And we'll see if we can weave these conversations together.
4: Sure. Hey, everyone. I am indeed in an over and I will give you guys some credit um for kicking off this writing tear I've been on because uh it kind of all started after I was on your show this summer. And I think maybe you inspire yeah I think you inspired me to like want to get some more thoughts out there into the world. So amazing. So thanks so thanks for that. Yeah um, I appreciate it. So so yeah I did, you know, I wrote this piece, published it yesterday. Um I, I've I've just always been a person who's been passionate about Creativity. I was a musician growing up, a photographer. I was into art. You know, I, I I was a you know wrote code. I built a company. I'm just like a fan of people sort of making things, and um, I, I had become sort of like disillusioned by this whole notion of the creator economy because it it felt like the more and more people talked about it and we thought about it and companies got funded, it was like all of the attention and the focus was going on this very very small subset of companies that were serving. An extremely small subset of creators, what I like to think of as the 1%, basically the people that are already making money, the people that already have distribution, the creator economy was building sort of this financial infrastructure for those creators. But if you think about the the rest of the creators and 99% or 99% of people, they're all creating too. Like we're all creating. We all create now every single day. We send tweets, we write emails, we write blog posts. We take photos we take videos and then there's this whole demand side on the other end right where people are consuming all this content all day we just consume constantly and i actually think it's way more interesting to think about the the supply chain or the 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 businesses and the business models that get built around everything else the 99 i think the creator economy that one percent is just kind of not that interesting and kind of small and of course, all of this stuff gets propelled by everything it sounds like you guys were talking about when I joined, like, you know, AI coming in here and democratizing creative, creativity even further, machine learning, making it more efficient for people to find the content and the information and in the media they actually care about. Um, frankly, something as simple maybe as just 5G internet becoming more uh, accessible globally and throughout the world. Um, I, I think media and creativity is sort of truly, truly ubiquitous at this point. And I think we are all creative. And I think if you really think about all of the software and products and services that power creativity, we're talking about like a multi-trillion dollar opportunity, uh, not just maybe this small little thing we've been calling the creator economy the past couple of years. So anyway, that's basically what the piece was. Um, maybe it's kind of obvious to everyone that we're all creative, but um, I, I just thought it was worth acknowledging.
1: Did you know that even if you have a 401k for retirement, you can still have an IRA? Robinhood has the only IRA that gives you a 3% boost on every dollar you contribute when you subscribe to Robinhood Gold. But get this, now through April 30th, Robinhood is even boosting every single dollar you transfer in from other retirement accounts with a 3% match. That's right, no cap on the 3% match. Robinhood Gold gets you the most for your retirement thanks to their IRA with a 3% match. This offer is good through April 30th get started at Robinhood.com slash boost. Subscription fees apply. And now for some legal info. Claim as of Q1 2024 validated by Radius Global Market Research. Investing involves risk, including loss. Limitations apply to IRAs and 401ks. 3% match requires Robinhood gold for one year from the date of first 3% match. Must keep Robinhood IRA for five years. The 3% matching on transfers is subject to specific terms and conditions. Robinhood IRA available to U.S customers in good standing. Get a free two-week trial at onepassword.com slash ride. That's two free weeks at the number one, the word password, all one word.com slash ride. Onepassword.com slash ride.
0: Well, I think I think the reason why, one, I wanted to get you up here, and two, it, it sort of dovetails into this conversation we're having. And it actually started kind of one, why is there a bunch of investment happening in kind of the AI space? And then we were also talking about Creativity and culture and who gets to monetize it and who has a right to participate in the generative output of a lot of these AIs that are being created now and being used. And I think this dovetails into what I've been seeing lately with some of the like super interesting stuff that's been created by applying those algorithms that, again, are trained on past creative work. I mean, it's, it's sort of like, it is like, I hate to use this, this metaphor, but um, just like the raw material or the oil, you know, the unrefined oil or the crude, I suppose, of creativity to create all sorts of new things now that we have this combustion engine, which is artificial intelligence. And so bringing those things together, and this is, I think, where your point comes in, Mike, that if everyone kind of imagines themselves as, as participating in this creator economy or a creative economy... Like, what does that mean and how do we, if not distribute wealth, like distribute access or privilege or experiences? And uh, Parker, this is something that you, you had brought up uh, kind of on the back channel that that was really interesting was just changing the whole mentality around, I think, ownership economics and scarcity economics. And that if we, again, and I don't want to get too much into like UBI space. I still don't know really what the concept is for how we support humans nurturing their sort of embodied needs, you know, their natural needs. But if the kind of asymptote of, of, of human culture is to enable everybody to experience their God-given gifts or creator-given gifts or however, you know, whatever deities you prefer, uh, then if that's what we're moving towards, then what you guys are both saying is sort of like bookends of the same kind of concept. Does that sort of land or resonate?
2: I guess I, I guess I'm not, uh... Sure, I understand the the sort of the the framing. I mean, I think we, if you're saying, hey, this is really exciting technology because it's going to enable us to do uh, new and interesting things, create more, absolutely, right? (laughs) Um, I mean, I think, you know, you can tie... I'm not quite prepared to tie that into UBI and whatnot, but I, I do think that it's interesting that we are... I mean we are all creating right i think people get hung up on this idea of like creating as something you do and get paid on right mm-hmm. yeah. I, I my worldview, my frame is uh we we create because we need to create not because we get paid to create i think that's we get caught this is why i'm so focused on the policy right because i think the mm-hmm. policy often starts with the premise of we need to pay creators so that they'll create and it's like yeah. well no, we never did that until the last that's a very recent thing, right? People weren't making cave drawings because they were getting paid, right? Um, we just had to do it. We want to create.
1: So I'm or, excited. Or, or, or there was no there was no there was no like comprehensive framework for it. Like you had patrons, you had, you know, right. occasionally governments paying for it. And things. Let, okay, let me reframe it for you, Parker, in a way that I, I think you, you were talking about earlier, in the sense that um <clears throat> Back to your tweet about like using a pen and paper uh, to create an image, using uh, Photoshop to create an image, like using tools to do something, right? Are you a believer in it's not that these tools will come and destroy the artist? Are you a believer that? In the same way that robots have never actually destroyed entire industries, new industries be created. You know what I'm saying? Like, is this again sort of that man-computer symbiosis thing where we don't know yet because it's so so early? I I don't think you can destroy. I I just think, Mm -hmm. regardless,
2: there is no world in which computers will ever exist in a way
0: where
1: you know what? That's the the question. No, we'll, 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 maybe computers we can't create, off. can't destroy creativity. That's the, well, we, we want, you know, look, I am a really
2: crappy musician. I just suck. Right. But I love to do it. I get on my guitar and I play it and I like to do it. And I do, it I
0: mean, everyone loves auto tune, and- right?
2: <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yeah. So yeah, exactly. So it, 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 you know, we we I think humans have a innate need to create, right? And so the computers will do their thing, and we'll keep creating. And I think in the short and medium term, it's much much harder to look further out, right? Um, we will continue to create, and in some cases, we'll be better than the machines, or we will continue to create, and we will do it with the machines. And with the machines, we'll create better things than we could have created on our own. Um, there are going to be cases where the machines can do things, you know. Like I give the example of competing against Fiverr, right? There are going to be cases where instead of paying a human on Fiverr, I uh, spend money on Dolly or something, right? I, 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 you know, this is how technology works, right? It eats the low value use cases and then moves up. And so I just I'm not worried at all about. I think sometimes people with angst around, you know, the computers taking away our humanity. I just don't worry about that at all. Right. Like we are creators. We're going to keep creating and it's going to be awesome. And if the computers can really maybe this is looping back to what you were saying, Chris, uh, the real problem with UBI, if you look at the economics of UBI, is that we need GDP to grow. uh,
0: Right. Well, But but that that could be possible or enabled. By some of these advances in artificial intelligence, if yeah, no, exactly right. right. Yeah, right. so
2: wait, so so if we're talking about creativity, yeah, it's precisely the opposite. Which is, if the machines are so good that they can do all these jobs for us, we're just going to sit around and jam on our guitars all day. It's going to be awesome, right? Because the machines will just do the work for well, us. That will be the leisure economy
0: in a way, like the, the sort of <laughs> ultimate expression of the le- leisure economy is actually the creator economy, where our needs are met, you know, and the drudgery of the things that we don't really want to do can be set aside you know, to the, to the machines and we can just engage in our creative, you know, pleasures, I suppose. Um, Yeah. No, Mike. Yeah. No. Yeah. Yeah. I think
2: we, we exist at a time there are Mm -hmm. eras and there are eras in culture, Right, that reflect on technology. And I think you can see it in, for example, how we write fiction, right? So there are like dystopian areas of fiction, er eras of fiction, and then optimistic areas of fiction, right? There's like the Star Trek stuff, and then there's like, you know, the uh, cyberpunk stuff or whatever, right? We're in an era where people are really negative about technology. We feel very alienated from it. That doesn't personally resonate with me at all. I think it's fun mm-hmm. and awesome time to be alive, and it's just going to be better. So yeah, if we can take all the computers and make GDP ten x what it is, and then we can all just hang out and get UBI, yeah you know, everyone's just going
0: to like to hang go. out and complain. Like that's probably what it'll be. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, <laughs> They'll just not. have more creative ways of complaining.
2: Uh, but we'll be way better at guitar, you know.
0: So be great. <laughs> um, I want to. I want to bring in Matt Hartman, actually, uh, a friend of mine from betaworks um Matt, did you want to chime in?
1: Probably a yeah. friend of Michael's
0: too.
3: Yeah, yeah sure.
0: I, I, I mean, I was. I've been listening to you guys. This is great. Um, I don't know if you've moved on from this, but I think that the, 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 the disconnect, I think, between what Mike was talking about in terms of creator economy mm-hmm. of the de- last decade versus the next decade
3: and
4: what GPT-3 means for it, mm-hmm. I think might be um, that the
0: last decade was about distribution for creators, and the new era is about the tools for creators. And we were calling things <sighs> that were distribution tools. Interesting. Yeah, that's a great
4: point. Yeah, I agree with that. I, I also very much agree with what Parker was saying. I mean, I know like these, these conversations are probably great where there's like tension and disagreement, but I, I just want to like pick <laughs> plus one what Parker was saying. I mean, like, if, look, if, if, if computers and AI want to, um, want to, uh, take away the low value creation from me, like, I would be happy to spend my time creating something else or something, something, cr- creating something of more high value that I don't normally have the time to create. So I actually just think of anything. Uh, it won't. It won't replace the creativity that we as human beings were necessarily born to do. It'll just be additive. Like I think it actually leads to more creativity and more content uh, and more things for all of us to consume. So I, I agree. I think. I think this is actually going to lead to a better future.
0: You know, one thing that we haven't talked about that I think is interesting, just as we're sort of riffing on this, is the way in which these tools can actually provide kind of a a feedback loop. Uh, one of the things that I guess like that I'm thinking about is. One of the challenges that we run into is that there's just not kind of equal access to all the different sort of talent that exists in the world, right? Like if if Parker, you really want to learn to play uh, guitar, you should really kind of like hook up with like Jimi Hendrix, you know, RIP, but like nonetheless, like bring him back and he can like teach you in a way that allows, uh, whether it's time travel or just like, uh, um, Talent travel so that you can actually access that resource wherever it is and ai could actually serve as that mechanism to learn faster let me give you a a very specific example of this i i used for the first time a a a product that i'll be hunting um or some version of it soon called headroom and it's it's available you can go check it out i think it's goheadroom.com um and it was built by and is being built by um uh, Julian, who used to work at Google, uh, on Google X, uh, as well as, I guess, his, I don't know if he's a co-founder or sort of like head of their AI stuff, but he was also from Google Brain. And so these guys have a lot of experience with um, neural nets and you know, language models and so on. And, you know, this type of functionality and feature set, I think is becoming somewhat more common given the world that we live in with lots of video calls. So essentially what happens is you'll have, you know, your 30 minute or 60 minute call or meeting. And then at the end of it, there's a summary that's provided to you with highlights of the most interesting parts of the call. And what it does is it actually uses uh, computer vision of the video stream that's coming through to measure your engagement In the conversation um, based on voice tonality based on your facial expression i mean even if you're like looking away kind of like up at the you know ceiling or something but you're nodding your head in a way that the algorithm knows how to pick up it'll be like oh this person is actually listening and they're engaged they're not just like disengaged because their eyes aren't on the screen so there's a lot of subtlety and nuance in that but if you can imagine that if you are a speaker or if you're someone who is actually running meetings and you have this as a tool for getting reflections on your contributions. This starts to be a way to actually improve and enhance human capability, because most of us don't actually live in a world where we get that much useful feedback. We're kind of like just you know fucking around you know in the world w- without that feedback loop. So from an artistic or creative um, potential aspect, maybe humans actually get better at entertaining each other, like you know th- through the real world by actually having uh, these these types of tools. As another layer um, to actually understand themselves, and I don't know that that's something we necessarily like talked about, but I wonder how many artists are actually using this to improve their own capabilities. That was
2: the thought. I mean, I'll I'll, I'll tell you as someone <laughs> who you know talks to artists from time to time, you know, they record themselves and listen to themselves, and they have serious like artists. Yeah. Serious artists, you know, like I, if I remember a friend of mine, like going to a show and he's like, Hey, will you plug into the soundboard and record me mm-hmm. And we got home? And he's like, I'm going to go hang out over here and listen to this mm-hmm. while you guys, you know, shoot the shit or whatever. Right. So, uh, yeah, I mean, maybe we can all do that. We certainly don't. Right. I mean, I don't record my meetings and go back and listen to them, but that's <laughs> uh, obviously a great way yeah.
1: to, you know, self reflect. Can I, uh, tangentially, yes. but uh, this is, this is my last, uh, Sort of, uh, yeah the, the 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 github copilot investigation thing that i know we talked about offline which was at the top of hacker news for a while one of the things that the huge discussion on that was about was the idea of creativity getting muddied where it's we we've, we've been talking about okay do i own this does the the algorithm own this or whatever One of the things in that conversation that I found the most fascinating was what if we're entering an era where no one can tell the difference in the same way that, like, sort of (laughs) like deep fakes and stuff, no one can tell the difference of what is real and what is that. Like, what if this sort of um, blending of AI and human creativity will make it sort of not only incomprehensible where the creativity comes from but also it might not matter does that make
0: any sense to anybody yeah i mean so So, yeah i'll just sort of like try to build on on what you're saying because i saw this thing earlier today and i'll I'll pin this tweet um where so unreal engine has this technology called metahuman um metahuman creator that allows them to essentially create incredibly lifelike avatars and so what is being done and I'm, i'm seeing this happen actually in a couple different spots. Is they will take like these metahuman creator things, super lifelike. They'll drop them into kind of like a metaverse or um, you know Fortnite type experience, and then they'll actually simulate kind of like dance moves or other types of emotes. And you really can't tell when these you know whether they're NPCs or whatever non non-player characters you know come up to you and interact with you whether they are actually you know programmed to interact with you or not. And so gameplay, and I actually, I think, Brian, you were, you were talking about this um, with your son playing the, um, the Matrix demo. Right, right. Where essentially, like, out of nowhere, he starts just like, I don't know, if It was sort of like a Grand Theft Auto type experience. Like playing, you know, and what, how old is he? Like seven? Uh, six. Well, it, as opposed to Grand Theft Auto, he was
1: trying to play by all the rules. He was trying to yes. stop at every stoplight, not run into other cars. Yeah, exactly
0: which I thought is both, you know, hilarious and genius where essentially doing the banal becomes the thing that's so interesting because when you're having these banal experiences, but there's almost like no risk to you because there's no shame. There's no kind of like social dilemma that you're running into as to, you know, the social cost of that, that it could actually become something that, that people are, um, I don't know, because, like, I guess what I think about a, a six or seven year old now growing up in that kind of environment where everything becomes somewhat fungible, um, it will change the types of things that he thinks that he is able to build for, and is able to create, and is able to contribute, because his set of assumptions are going to be completely rebased at a different level than ours were. Does that sort of makes? I know that's a little bit different than what you were saying, Brian. But sort of that's, that's well, what a little bit. Mind. But
1: um, I was the one that took the gummy. But uh, Mike, you you, <laughs> you 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 piped up. Well,
4: yeah. What I was just going to say was, I mean, per per the question you sort of posed, Brian, like is it just a matter of? sort of abundance and scarcity i mean in a world of scarcity people want to really clutch to the things that they have and they want to claim ownership so that they can extract value from them yeah. in a world of abundance things yeah. obviously yeah. lose lose value right well it's no not scarcity. it's not losing so,
1: value it is it, it is what i was saying like the muddying of i think in the conversation people were like okay i created this and like there was like a graphic where it was like the 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 internet says no, you didn't. It's just on. The, it's just the thing, right? You know. So, like, is that kind of what we're talking about? Where the act of creativity, in the same way that like memes go out and no one knows who was the first person to do that, exactly. you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah,
4: I, I, exactly. I mean, I, I kind of feel like in a world where you know AI generative media is completely pervasive, and any and everyone, anyone and everyone is making content all the time. Maybe ownership, frankly, just doesn't matter. Like. Like maybe I don't care that I made this thing and you're using it and you're remixing I think, it, and it, I Parker, it. I think I think Parker. I think Parker was t- talking yes. in that direction at the very beginning of this conversation.
2: Well, it, this I is a great that. example, right? I think that um, I, again, I, I think that like. This is not deterministic. We're talking about this like, oh, this is the future is going to be a certain way, and we're just going to try to figure out which way it is. Mm-hmm. Memes are a great example, right? Like, we we had a conversation about information wants to be free and MP3 sharing and whatever, and we decided, no, right? Mm-hmm. That's immoral, and that's why you know this is the reaction that you're seeing around this uh, AI stuff, right? Is people who are like, that's immoral, whereas with mm-hmm. memes. You could imagine a world like – obviously, this didn't happen – but you could imagine a world where memes were considered immoral.
1: And we all sort of – we
2: go, well, like, uh, you know, you're not Or, or Parker, or like
1: you, you were saying – we were talking about litigation and things like that. We haven't had huge lawsuits of people trying to claim memes and stuff like that. That could have happened. Yeah, that could have happened. It didn't happen. It's. I mean, you could – You know, we could come up with
2: some explanations for why these things are different and why, you know, why this happened. But I actually think it's not deterministic. I think what happens with AI and how we think about ownership and creativity in these things, like right now is the time where we get to sort of put out ideas and everybody gets to chew on them and we get to decide whether this is moral or immoral or whether it's more of a collective ownership thing, whether algorithms can create truly unique things or where, uh, whether they are, Mm. you know, stupid and just copy, right? Like this is why now is so interesting and important because we are going to uh, fight a battle that determines what you are allowed, what your children, when they are older, are allowed to create and do for a living. And we were talking about who gets paid on it. Again, I think that's like, that determines what economic models and what creative models uh, can exist. But like, now is a really interesting time to go write your thought pieces because you have a lot of leverage over where the culture goes right now because no one has made up their
0: mind yet. Okay, so so I'm going to bring this to a, to a bit of a close. But I have, I think, I have two thoughts. Uh, they're sort of germinating there. What is that? Mike has to go and write another piece uh, about this this kind of like direction with some regular, like some recommendations for uh, either our lawmakers or for the next generation of people who are going to be writing rules about this stuff. Because as I understand it, there's a lot of people in Washington right now. You know, helping to write draft legislation around crypto and around money and around those things. And what I find so interesting, kind of about this, and I guess it's because we're, we're talking about, um, you know, Brian six year old, is because if I think back to my experience in high school, and it sort of has become more and more clear to me how this experience really shaped my my life and everything that I did since, as I created my high school's website back in 1999, and I created all the club's websites and, you know, I hosted it myself. I had my own little stupid server. Um, and one of the websites that I created was for a gay shirt Alliance. Now this is in New Hampshire in 1999, and this was not something that people were ready for. And so as a result of creating this website and putting that, that club, um, that club's banner ad in rotation on my high school's homepage, along with the art honor society and band and all the others, I was suspended. Because the school, the institution, the structure that existed for my education and for the furtherance of some kind of knowledge decided that it was too dangerous to allow someone like me to be able to interact with meme and culture propagation at that level. And I feel like we're having a very similar conversation to the one that was not really going on back when I was in high school now about these AI tools. That there are going to be kids who are writing their college essays using GPT three. They like they're going to be kids who are completing art class by using Stable Diffusion. I mean, a couple of weeks ago we had this first story where uh, I believe someone tried to copyright or won some art contest that had used Stable Diffusion. Right, it was a new thing that had never been seen before, and now people are trying to put that cap back in the bag. And I guess I wonder if you know, my, my high school principal had been successful in shutting me down and shutting the internet down. And if people in th- thinking like his had shut down this whole world of web publishing, if we would have actually been better off for it, if the Luddites had won, would, we be, would it be better that we were all making our own, you know, sweatshirts and t-shirts now? Uh, given my life and my experience, I, I would say no, but I think that is the conversations that are happening now. And so if you guys have thought pieces that you want to go right to help people think about and how to contextualize these things that go beyond just who gets to make money from this stuff i think that would be incredibly uh valuable
1: yeah mike uh chris just gave you a homework
4: i am not sure i'm smart enough to write that piece but uh one anecdote i will say is i was hanging out with uh, a person tonight who will remain nameless who is currently in college Mm -hmm. and they revealed to me that lots of students are already using ai to generate their uh, their essays for them Uh, are exactly.
0: <laughs> this is my point, right? I mean, it's, it's a new form of doping. It just doesn't have to be in, you know, biking or something. So,
2: well, no, I, it, I guess I would say we're going to adapt. Like education will adapt to this, right? Like, we'll figure out how I mean, to... <laughs> Test people in ways that test their knowledge as opposed to their But is that the right thing to do or, or is it
0: actually to put the intelligence
2: no, that's like, <laughs> fine. no but that's fine right? we, we, I, I think the right thing to do is to say hey these tools like this is like the calculator right like you don't say we're gonna right. ban calculators you say well, hey, some, we're gonna some make, do. Uh, well in some context that's okay right okay. like yeah. you yeah. know in elementary school you you, you you figure it out and then later on you design tests for that I guess my call to action for people who want to go write thought pieces I think there's two different ways to think about it, right? One is, th- w- how should the general public or policy people think about this, right? And we right. sort of talked right. about that, right? Like, uh, the other one is, how should tech think about this, right, mm-hmm. what should tech do? We are in an era where there's mm-hmm. a very, we're in a very bad faith era yeah. of vis tech, right? That's right, that's right. Um, and so I think, for example, we talked about the GitHub thing, right? Yeah. The problem with the GitHub tool right now is that it was not designed to not be got, right? So it was not designed, it should have been designed in a way where if someone says, hey, copy this thing for me so I can fuck these guys, right? Um, it says, no, nah, I'm not gonna do that, right? So tech needs to do a couple things, right? One is I think it needs to design these tools so that it can't be got, so that you're not, infringing specific copyrighted works, right? And that's not that hard, you just need to put it in the backlog and do it, right? I think the other thing that's interesting, an idea I've been thinking of that I'll just throw out there is, I actually think that tech needs to go on the offensive, which is to say, look, when these people pop up and they say, I'm gonna come after you because you're stealing ideas, a cool thing about these tools is that if a specific artist comes at you, you can say, cool, you draw horses. I'm going to go find all the horses that look like your horses because they're just in my corpus, right? Um, So if you want to get into the infringement game, I am going to come for you. We're going to build these tools to dispel the myth of the independent creative genius because I think it is a myth, right? I think we'd be much better off as a society if we thought about creativity in a more collective and iterative way. And so I think there's sort of a call to action for... You know the general public or uh, policymakers, but then there's a call to action for technologists, right? We need to be thinking a little bit differently about how we build these tools and use these tools and approach this conversation. And so, you know, I, I don't want to write these pieces. Please, somebody do it, and I'll retweet it.
1: You know, uh, you. Uh, Parker, it, you you reference the the YouTube history um, a couple times and the Napster history or whatever, but that that problem got solved essentially by Allowing st- stakeholders to make money, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, not everyone makes as much money as every stakeholder in the in the equation, but that's that's the reason why YouTube survived when Napster didn't. So yeah. Exactly, like, yeah. So like that's sort of the thinking maybe we should be thinking about right now is how to make everybody um, happy. <laughs> they <to> have <laughs> no, a taste of that's, in that's this. not gonna ha- that's not gonna
2: happen with this. You're totally right. That's a great point. That Napster had no way to get people paid. YouTube did, right? Um, But how do you pay somebody when you're looking at 400 images of horses and making a novel work? There's a question of should we pay somebody? I would say uh, hopefully not, right? Like if we can lower the cost to society of creating new art, that's better, right? Um, So we don't want to pay people. If we have to pay people, okay, we will. But how do we even think about that, right? There's these 400 horses and we're making a new horse. Do we... Hey, like and the person and it's by the way it's me creating the horse for my personal use. Uh, what do we do with that right? Like do am I paying money and now every horse image that I want to I used to draw for free and now I have to pay every time I make an image like oh, I, I
1: don't I, I want to make a joke about horse ebooks and
2: like <laughs> or something like that but, so go on uh, no it's, I'm just saying I, I think that it, it, I don't think that we, we, at least for the tools that we've been talking about. Um, there's going to be a model where, uh, we can viably pay people that are creating the art that, in, you know, that it goes into these algorithms or whatnot. I just, there's just not money there. Right. Um, so I think what we're really saying is if money has to change hands, then these tools just aren't going to matter. No one's going to use them. Right. These are the stakes. The stakes are this is a generation of creative tools that are either going to be de facto legal or de facto illegal based on the economics that sort of fall out of this cultural discussion so the task at hand for everybody listening is to try to shape this cultural discussion in a way that leads to the legality of creative tools so we can all have more art that's my call to action
0: uh i, I just to end this i happened to do a search on AI ethics while we were chatting. And for some reason, the first thing that came up were these two, two uh, links that I've pinned to the channel from the U.S. Chamber of, all, of Commerce of all places around this bipartisan commission on artificial intelligence. Now, I don't know if it's relevant or interesting, but I think it makes the point that these conversations are happening at the highest level and that whatever kind of goes into their, you know, sort of neural net is going to be the thing that's going to determine how or if people can use these things, and if they can use them, if yeah. if they can use them and apply them for you know pro social and positive productive uses or not. So very much to hmm. your point, Parker, this conversation is happening currently, and it is not clear to me at least how many of, of sort of folks in our you know world or our community are participating actively uh, in those conversations.
1: and learn what the rise of AI tools mean for human practitioners moving forward. Get your copy today at arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. That's arcticwolf.com slash techmeme. Selling a little or a lot?
0: This is great. I want to bring this to a close, guys. This is amazing. Um, I I've, want got to thank- I've got a wrap for you real quick. No, okay. no I'm, I'm, I'm saying I have a wrap idea,
1: which is that Do it.
0: Um, you guys uh,
1: just told me that um, AI will allow college folks to uh, cheat on their exams. And my first startup, EditMeNow.com in 1998, was literally that, except I had to hire a team of 20 to 25 Humans. grad students to do it. So if you're saying that <laughs> the, the AIs have taken cheating in college out of the, the equation, then- <laughs> You would never
0: have gotten your start.
1: AI AI has taken over, and so the, there's no point. Um, let's, let's allow anyone that's been on stage to jump up and, and plug anything, and,
4: and then we, mm. we can wrap. No plugs. Just want to say thanks for having me. This is fun as always. That was Michael. Yes.
1: No. Yeah. Uh, Mike. Mike. No. Real quick. What, uh, what's oh? Uh, what's what's your what's your firm that you're at right now?
4: Ah. Yes. It's true. You you announced former <laughs> former founder founded anchor podcasting platform. So that's Spotify for a while, and now yes, I am a partner at Lightspeed. Yes, and, that, was, uh, that was, I think, thinking, not known. I'm thinking last a lot time. about this. i should yeah. thinking a lot about creativity and generative AI and all this fun stuff. So, yeah, thanks for the plug. Thanks for
1: coming on. And, yeah, and Parker, coming. Parker, of course, since you've been here the whole time. Yeah, I've got no plugs. Thank you for having us. Oh. I'll plug Parker. He's one of the, the kindest and most insightful uh, people in um, the tech space, full stop.
0: Awesome. And I, I, will, I will plug um, Miguel's startup, which is at vmind.ai. Uh, I'm sorry, vmindai.com. It might be both. Um, he, he's not on stage anymore, but wanted to make sure that he got a little shout out there. Um, Indeed. Yeah. Well, guys, I mean, I guess we'll have to keep this conversation going. Parker, it was amazing having you. I believe you're actually like, are you in Oakland, Berkeley, or the
2: bay? No, or, uh, no, we are occasionally there. We moved to Philadelphia, oh. um, in the, in the COVID exodus. Uh, oh. so I'm going re- remote going back and forth, but, uh, okay. I miss it there. Um, yeah. it is cold as shit
1: here. <laughs> so, uh, it, it has gotten that all of a sudden. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I, I'll, I'll, leave you with this, uh, this idea, which is, uh, I saw somebody tweet the other day. It's like, there's a bad season everywhere you go. And, uh, You know, in in California, it's tax season. So uh,
1: every other (laughs) season is civil here. Wait, wait, where where are those? uh, Chris, where are those sound effects?
0: Oh, shit. Yeah, let me find it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, Oh, it's not um, uh, Mm. (laughs) up. All right. Sorry.
1: Uh, Hey, love everybody. Love everybody that came on. Love everybody that's listening. Uh, Love Chris. Great. Thank you. Love you, Brian. Let's Um, go.
0: All right, great. The gummy's hitting. All right. Good night, everybody. Thanks.